Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on November 1st, 2021 from my home studio here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features new unemployment data for the state. Also, despite higher energy costs, you may not have to spend that much money to heat your home this winter. Scott Morgan revisits his eviction story for an update. Domestic Violence Awareness Month may be over, but much more needs to be done to combat the scourge that persists in our state. Sara Barber with Skedvasa explains. And Dr. Linda Bell has advice for parents who may soon be able to vaccinate their children in South Carolina joins a lawsuit against the federal government in vaccine mandates. Also, get ready to fall back this Sunday at 2 a.m. That's when daylight saving time officially ends. Fall back, take a break, and call the lead at 803-563-7169. Tell us about your thoughts on daylight saving time. You got an extra hour, you got to call us, you got extra time now, so let us know what you're going to be doing with it. If you're getting ready for uh, the holiday season, which starts, I guess now, November 1st, start cranking that Mariah Carey, folks. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 13,753 total deaths, and currently there are 899,481 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of November 1st at 4 p.m. Saturday marked our eighth week of declining cases, which fell roughly by 1,000 cases from the week before to 5,197. Compare that to the surge high of 39,697 in early September. We also saw deaths decline for their sixth consecutive week on Saturday with 47, down from 189 the week before. Our percent positive is 2.9%. Currently, 582 people are hospitalized with COVID-19, 177 are in intensive care, and 111 are on ventilators. Right now, 2.36 million South Carolinians, or 55.1%, are fully vaccinated. South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson has joined a lawsuit aimed at blocking the requirement for federal contract workers to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The state is joining a lawsuit filed by Georgia's governor and its University System Board of Regents. This is not about whether vaccines are a good idea, Attorney General Alan Wilson said in a statement, and I encourage anyone who can to get it. But the way the Biden administration went about this is unconstitutional, and I'm sworn to uphold the Constitution. Attorney General Wilson says that the Biden administration's actions violate basic principles of separation of powers and federalism and ultimately threaten the liberty interests of all Americans, according to a press release from his office. Wilson said that by implementing this mandate, any federal contractor is required to have its employees vaccinated against COVID-19 and that the Biden administration has violated the 10th Amendment. Therefore, the state and Georgia argue that the contractor mandate was adopted by an unconstitutional exercise of authority by the Biden administration and must be struck down. Governor Henry McMaster on Twitter said, quote, South Carolinians should not be unlawfully forced to choose between their job and the vaccine. It's unfortunate that we must sue POTUS, but he has violated the Constitution and has placed Palmetto State jobs at risk. Now, as for the other vaccine mandate, CNBC reports that the Biden administration will publish in the coming days a rule requiring private businesses to ensure their employees are vaccinated against COVID-19. The rule applies to businesses with 100 or more employees. It's estimated to cover about two-thirds of the private sector workforce. 
Now, companies must develop and enforce a mandatory COVID vaccination policy unless they create a plan that gives workers the option to get tested regularly and requires them to wear a mask at work, according to a Labor Department spokesperson. The mandate will also require employers to provide paid time to workers to get vaccinated and paid sick leave to recover from any side effects. White House officials at the Office of Management of Budget have held dozens of meetings with industry lobbyists and labor unions over the past several weeks as they reviewed the rule. OMB completed its review on Monday, and the mandate is expected to go into effect after it is published in the Federal Register. And if you're listening to us on Tuesday, then happy Election Day! You should have some municipal elections on your ballot, whether it's a mayor's race, council race, or school board seat up for election. These local races may not get as much attention, but these folks are responsible for a lot. So be sure to get out and vote. You can find your sample ballot and voting location at scvotes.org. Let's lead off our business section with some encouraging news. The state's unemployment picture continues to slowly improve. September marked the ninth consecutive month of drops in the unemployment rate to 4.1% from 4.2% in August. Every county saw a decline. Marble County still has the highest rate at 7.1%, and Saluda has the lowest at 2.3%. SC Department of Employment and Workforce Executive Director Dan Elzey said in a statement that in contrast to the nation, there has also been a steady rise of people re-entering the workforce in the state. As of September 2021, there are 7,746 more South Carolinians employed than there were pre-pandemic in February 2020. Now that being said, there are more than 107,000 open positions posted on the SC Works website, with the biggest openings in healthcare, retail, and hospitality. For September, the leisure and hospitality industry added 3,400 jobs, followed by education and health services and trade, transportation, and utilities. The biggest declines were in manufacturing, business services, and government. Speaking of jobs, some things to look forward to this week. The Department of Labor will announce the October unemployment rate on Friday. It's expected to fall to 4.7% from 4.8%. We'll also hear from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on Wednesday following the Federal Open Market Committee meeting where the presidents of all 12 Federal Reserve Banks, think Tom Barkin of Richmond, will likely approve a tapering of the Fed's $120 billion monthly bond buying program. We're rooting for you, Tom. Moving on, Scott Morgan with South Carolina Public Radio continues his reporting on the fallout of the federal eviction moratorium being lifted and its effect on the state. Only a couple months ago, a lot of people were a lot of worried about life after federal eviction protections expired. Services agencies around the state geared up for a swell of evictees, but that didn't quite happen. Once the moratorium was lifted earlier this year, we did see an increase in clients that needed services. Amber Jackson is the executive director of the United Way of Lancaster County, where freshly evicted tenants turned up for help as summer drew to a close. But then we also had clients who weren't necessarily being evicted, but they were being asked to leave. So while there's not an increase so much right now, that doesn't mean that they're not here. With a large population of housing insecure residents, no homeless shelter, and a soaring real estate market that's increasingly trading poorer local residents for Charlotte transplants, Lancaster could have become a city of tents and cardboard boxes. So why didn't it? I don't think it's because the need has gone down. I just believe people have taken advantage of the SC Stay Plus funds. 
SC State Plus is $272 million in federal money allotted to South Carolina and administered through the State Housing and Finance Authority. The program to help get landlords rent money that went unpaid because of the pandemic's economic hit on residents began in the spring and came out of the gate like chilled molasses. For a lot of reasons, the money went untapped throughout the summer. According to spokesman Chris Winston, SC Housing dispersed a little more than $8 million in the program's first several months. Since August, the SC State Plus program has been able to help keep nearly 5,000 South Carolina residents safely in their homes in the past two months by providing more than $22 million in support and assistance. Winston says the program has put more than $1 million of that into Lancaster County to benefit almost 300 households. That kind of cash flow took an immense burden off services agencies like Hope and Lancaster, which has a long history of helping residents in need, just not like what the pandemic called for. You know, you have 10 clients coming for $5,000 a piece or $3,000 a piece. That becomes an enormous amount of money very quickly. Susan Dolphin is the acting executive director of Hope. We just don't have the donations to meet that kind of volume. Uh, we weren't structured that way. We were supposed to be a little bit of a bridge, not, you know, we don't want to build a whole building. <laughs> Amber Jackson says press and social media reporting on SC State Plus and education about the potential consequences of not tapping into it helped stave off what could have been a catastrophe. But she and Dolphin mainly credit SC Housing for streamlining the application process and for coming to town to personally teach residents how to apply. They both also credit their own agency's efforts to point clients directly at the program from their first conversations. The flip side to that is how long it takes for the payments to get to the landlords. If you get your eviction notice at the end of the month, the first is right there and you just don't have that kind of time. So the eviction process looks very different for you than it would for somebody else. This dynamic is playing out relatively slow and small in Lancaster. It's playing out much more intensely in Richland County. People started accessing the county funds. Lila Anasols is the president and CEO of Homeless No More in Columbia, where residents were not eligible for SC State Plus. The word went out last Thursday, they were exhausted. So as of last week, if you're not in the system, those funds are gone. That was two weeks ago now. And in the meantime, Saul says Homeless No More has seen a steady stream of displaced tenants who were unable to get rental help in time. And they can't turn to SC State Plus unless the U.S. Treasury reallocates money for that purpose. According to SC Housing, several county-level rental assistance programs in South Carolina ran dry as well as demand for help increased post-moratorium. And we've been talking about increasing prices for goods as well as energy costs on the podcast recently. But even with higher natural gas costs, you may not be using as much this winter to heat your home. That's because the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Climate Prediction Center is calling for warmer-than-average conditions across the southern U.S., with the greatest likelihood of above-average temperatures in the southeast. These temperatures are a result of La Nina. That's when Pacific trade winds are even stronger than usual, pushing warm water toward Asia. These cold waters in the Pacific push the jet stream northward, and this tends to lead to drought in the southern United States and heavy rains and flooding in the Pacific Northwest and Canada. Now, during a La Nina year, winter temperatures are warmer than normal in the south and cooler than normal in the north. So don't hold your breath for a white Christmas there, folks. It's not 1989, last time we had one. Little fun fact there. It's probably be pretty mild like it was last year. We also had a La Nina.
Okay, listen up all my parents out there. I know you've been following this closely. The FDA has approved a smaller dose of the Pfizer vaccine for children following the recommendation of its advisory panel. Now, the CDC is expected to sign off on that approval this week, but that doesn't mean that the next day you'll be able to find a dose for your 5 to 11-year-old. In an exclusive interview with NPR, Jeff Science, the White House's COVID-19 response coordinator, said he hopes to see the first set of kids start to get vaccinated at the end of the week. And the bulk of vaccines will be in their locations by the week of November 8th. So there are a lot of logistics to consider here. These are smaller doses and they require smaller needles to administer the vaccine. And in the U.S., 28 million children are ages 5 to 11. And the White House is starting by pushing out 15 million vaccine doses with more to come. So keep an eye out for availability in your area and understand that it might take a little bit longer for you guys to get that dose. Moving on, state epidemiologist Dr. Linda Bell gave an update last week on COVID-19 in the state, including this advice to parents as we are on the verge of seeing the Pfizer vaccine approved for children. Parents should be reminded that the risks among children from COVID infection are real. We know that in the most recent surge in cases, as more seniors were vaccinated, COVID cases largely shifted to younger age groups. And since it takes a full five weeks to complete the series and be considered fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine, getting kids vaccinated as early as possible could really change how our children, their families, and our communities can enjoy the upcoming holidays and allow children to return to school being well protected. Dr. Bell also told reporters that while deaths are declining, they remain high as they lag behind the lower case rates. This is a trend she expects to persist in the short term. Now, cases and deaths can trend up and down over time, and this is due to a number of reasons. Um, In general, a consistent drop in cases suggests that the COVID-19 vaccine is working. As we see more people get vaccinated, then our cases drop as they get vaccinated and follow those prevention measures. But the fact that deaths are not decreasing in the same manner currently as the cases are can be due to a couple of things. First of all, there's a lag in, the, unfortunately, the complications that result from COVID infections. So there are some people who experience a progression of disease. So when we see high case counts and then a drop in case counts, there are still many people who are experiencing a disease pro- progression. They may be hospitalized for a prolonged period of time. And unfortunately for many of those people, that may, that progression may lead to death. So we can anticipate that we will continue to see deaths occur as long as there are complications and um, these hospitalizations. So we are not past um, the curve for that certainly yet. And the other thing is that individuals who have comorbidities are also at increased risk, people who have um, compromised immune systems. And this is why we continue to recommend being vaccinated for those who have a weakened immune system to get the booster doses and for those new populations for whom its uh, booster doses are recommended to go ahead and get that now because there is still a small risk. And before we go, yes, it's November and Domestic Violence Awareness Month is over, but South Carolina remains one of the top places for women to die at the hands of men in the country. Despite moving to 11th place last year, the state is back up into the top 10 at 6th place, according to the Violence Policy Center, which analyzes and ranks states based off of homicide data. Improving domestic violence outcomes has been a years-long challenge with more work needing to be done. On This Week in South Carolina, I spoke with Sarah Barber. She's the director of the SC Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault about the situation and some new disturbing reporting. 
I think, unfortunately, it continues a pattern that we've pretty much seen over more than two decades now that the Violence Policy Center has has collected that information. Last year, we were ranked um, 11th, which was the first time uh, that we've ever ranked out of the top 10. And I think people may have been a little too quick to jump and say, look, we're getting better. When Whenever you look at statistical data, you have to look at what the pattern is rather than what the outlier was. And last year, unfortunately, seems was like it was an outlier. Mm-hmm. And when we look at, I guess, 2020, I mean, that data is still being processed, but maybe anecdotally, what can you look at over the past 18 months, especially with the impact of the pandemic, how that may have changed things, impacted, um, you know, reporting or uh, any data that you've already seen anecdotally in terms of what the pandemic did to domestic violence rates? Yeah, so I think what we do know is that reporting rates, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, went down. You know, um, I think people were but they were dealing with everything that the rest of us were dealing with, you know, trying to figure out what's going with our kids, trying to figure out toilet paper, trying to figure out grocery. And so, you know, at that point, domestic violence may not have been like the biggest thing that they were dealing with. Um, As the pandemic went on, you know, you're dealing with an individual crisis within a community health crisis. And so we did see people reaching out for help and calls to our member program started to increase and saw a small rise in the number of um, incidents reported to law enforcement, even though we know that's sort of an under account of the whole picture. Um, As far as homicide data at this point, we don't know. You know, we know there's been a homicide spike in general, um, but we don't know specifically for South Carolina yet what that data is going to look like in terms of domestic violence homicides. So an underreporting perhaps is what you're saying right now in terms of the past year, especially because of the pandemic. Um, what What do you want women to know, maybe those who are in these situations to know what they can do to reach out, to do something if they feel trapped, especially when everyone was so isolated during that pandemic too, during that time when we were locked down, we were shut away from people who might notice things or pick up on different cues. What we want people to know is that our member programs who provide wraparound services in every community across the state are open and they are always going to be willing to help you. Those hotlines are still open. Some of the services may look a little different. You know, they, you might not be taken into a shelter, but we will find safe accommodation for you. Um, counseling may be via Skype or another um, platform or via the telephone rather than in person. But those programs are ready and waiting to help you. And so we would encourage anyone who's experiencing this to reach out and ask for that help. Sarah, when we look at, you know, these situations, you know, it's always different depending on the situation, of course, but there's a lot of sometimes themes with with these domestic violence situations. Women sometimes become dependent on these men, husbands or or significant others, and, you know, financially in some ways are dependent. And most recently, we've seen such an uptick of women leaving the workforce because of the pandemic. Do you fear that that might create even more of a of a situation here where women are stuck in these these situations where they're this cycle of abuse? I think that's certainly a concern. We know that domestic violence um, correlates with levels of unemployment and and hardship around financial situations. So that is definitely a concern. But it also adds to the complexity of what domestic violence is. Every situation is different. And there are so many things involved, whether it be you don't want to leave because of your children, um, you don't want to leave because you're scared that things will get worse if you do leave, which is true for many um, for many women. Or you may not want to leave because the violence Violence isn't continuous. There are good times within that relationship, and this is someone you love. It's such a complex issue. Um, and always, you know, now we're dealing with additional complexities on top of the, what we usually see. 
I want to talk to you a little bit about a big report that just came out from the state newspaper. They did an in-depth report on police and domestic violence, looking at uh, over the past 10 years from 2010 to 2020, at least 96 people tied to law enforcement agencies were accused of violence against current or former spouses. Three officers were charged more than once in the decade for a total of 99 cases. Uh, have you seen that reporting? And if so, what do you think needs to be done to mitigate these situations that are happening within those who are sworn to serve and protect us? I have seen that reporting and I've also seen similar reporting coming out of other states and other countries. Um, it is an issue. You know, the police, we talk about how domestic violence crosses all sectors of our community. And that is true for police forces too. What, and it is especially terrifying for a victim who, if we think of the police as being our first responders around domestic violence, who do you then turn to when you're calling on somebody who's, a, who's an active officer? Um, what we would encourage law enforcement to do is to take these complaints seriously and to do training with their with their officers um, and to take action if they find that this is in fact happening in a relationship that one of their offices is is currently in. 42% of South Carolina women and 29% of men experience intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking in their lifetimes. If you or someone you know is experiencing this or you suspect they are, visit SCCA dvasa.org, that's scadvasa.org, to find resources and support. You can also call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well, as well as your fashion faux pas, how your Halloween went, what you're doing for the holiday season, just a little bit of everything, folks. Take <laughs> a deep on breath. Footwear. Yeah, footwear discussion, trends. Uh, medieval slash fantasy weaponry, <laughs> yeah. like any fantasy you discussions. I guess the Atlanta Braves, etc. etc. We want to hear from you. 803-563-7169. Leave us a message one to three minutes long. We can only take up to three minutes, folks. Not our rules. We don't make the rules. We don't make the rules. But we want to hear from you because we love hearing from you guys. 803-563-7169. <laughs> uh, we got a caller, AT. Is that right? Oh yeah, we got one. So uh, I haven't listened to this one yet. So no. I mean, we're 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 gonna learn together, live together. So here we go. Hi, South Carolina lead friends. This is Sarah from Greenville. Um, I just wanted to call and say thank you for all the hard work that you've done over the last year and a half with the um, coronavirus reporting in the state of South Carolina. I started listening to your podcast in the spring of 2020 um, because I had a new job with the organization that required me to do some work with state policy. And uh, that was a new requirement for me. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I found this great podcast that, um, you know, was helping me learn about uh, state government in the state of South Carolina. And lo and behold, um, you know, as the coronavirus came and took hold in our state. Um, I found your podcast very, very helpful, even though I was no longer working for that organization um, anymore. Um, I am in the field of public health, um, and this has been a hard year and a half um, just because I feel like we have, my field has so much to offer. Um, so much wisdom and knowledge and support and hard work to offer in a situation like a 
infectious pandemic only to be really kind of dismissed and seen as the enemy when we should be, you know, embraced as, you know, our time to really contribute. So that's been really hard, really, really hard, um, I have to say. So I've appreciated your very um, helpful, insightful, informative, and, and, and great reporting on this pandemic. And then lastly, I will just say, um, I, last year for Halloween, um, you know, because it was still kind of the height of the pandemic, um, I decided to still give out candy for Halloween, but I made the kids stand at least six feet from my door, um, and I threw the candy at them, underhanded, of course, but, um, you know, I had them catch them in their little bags and their pumpkins and stuff like that, and I thought that was a lot of fun. So I have to say, even though we're not in the height of the pandemic anymore, I do recommend this to my other um, podcast listeners. Uh, it's a good way to uh, have fun tossing candy at kids and staying uh, coronavirus safe uh, six feet apart. Um, thank you again for everything you do. Um, and that's all. Sarah from hashtag yeah, that Greenville. Thanks for mm-hmm. calling. Glad we could help you out with your new job. I know you've switched jobs since then, but we had, but we got to keep you updated, so I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for your work in public health, and we hear you when you're talking about misinformation. We support facts here and only believe in giving you that news, that quality, informative news without all the spin, all the bluster, just the news here. No and spin zone, Great baby. tip on giving out the candy, though. Hope you had a lot of oh, trick-or-treaters. I think- I think she backdoor found a hack, a way to just pelt kids with candy. Like, yeah. Boop. <laughs> you got to blow off some steam, wait Did, for Halloween night, just unload on the neighborhood kids. Oh, she's Peyton an underhand. Manning style. <laughs> I would just do it overhand. I've uh, seen some underhand pitches that uh, hitting 65 miles an hour. I bet you could get a payday going pretty fast. Like a big fly ball. <laughs> uh, did you have any trick-or-treaters, AT? We, I, oh, two. Two groups. Two. Okay. And uh, this dad and his two sons showed up. And they looked at me, and I was just like, it was like 8.45. I was like, go nuts. And the kid looked at me like, what? And I was like, go crazy, kid. And he just started like grabbing stuff, <laughs> grabbing stuff. And I was like, go, get it, get it, get it, get it. What was it's, in the candy bowl, AT? Uh, we had Star... I, it was all Caitlin stuff. It, it was Starburst, mm-hmm. M&M's, Peanut M&M's, okay, Reese's Pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Ugh. Oh, Snickers, baby Snickers yeah. with a single letter of the word Snickers on them. So pretty bite-sized and yeah. then bite-sized Twix. Okay. And okay. I got to say, normally like you get a Snickers and there's a part of it where it's like not covered in chocolate or it's kind of gross. These little ones were pretty homogeneously covered mm-hmm. well and mm-hmm. kind of the best bite of Snickers I've ever had. And that's the f- that really goes against me and my mm-hmm. hatred of fun size, the idea of mm-hmm. fun size. Do you know what I mean? Like- Whose fun is that? Nobody's. Well, you got to you got to you got to spin it somehow. Did you get any? Did you get any trick or treaters? I was down um, down in Charleston yesterday, down uh, for my oh, friend's you wedding. Back in time, but uh, we were. I was briefly on IOP, and we had some trick or treaters come by, and then I was back at my parents' house in James Island, and there was quite the uh, quite the roving amount of gangs out there on in James Island that they. had I was surprised give out some because treats. this year, Caitlin and I, we hung lights up on our porch. Yeah. And before it was always really dark, so I understood why kids wouldn't mm-hmm. come to the house, you know. And this year we finally have lights up, and and still only two groups. Wow. And so I was I was pretty upset about it. Seems you know pretty what? Hit or miss, I, yeah. 
I, I blame the neighborhood, not me. It's not my fault. Well, you know, fault. I'm, I'm in Rosewood right nearby you. And for years, like I was like, oh, I'm going to buy some candy just in case. And then, of course, I just end up eating the candy. You just end no up, comes yeah. over. So you get a full 10 pound uh, bag of candy. I'm just like, well, I needed to do this. But yeah, they had which big, we experienced at your parents house, too. They, yeah, had, a they had a big bag Costco bag. And I was like, well, I'm going to go ahead and go to town on this. So <laughs> they had peanut M&Ms in there. And I do like peanut M&Ms. Yeah, they had a good not um, regulars. Oh, no, they had 100 grands. I was just going to town with 100 grands. 100 grand <laughs> is a is a is a top tier bar. I mean, absolutely elite. But yeah, they had a good group. They're in a little neighborhood back there. So um, some years it's been pretty scant, but this year they had a good bit. I mean, it was nice out. It was a Sunday. I mean, it was rocking and rolling down there. What time of the day? Was was the sun out when this was happening? No, it was night. It was night. Um, good. Good. 7.30-ish. But then like immediately like at 8.30, like lights out in the neighborhood and everyone was gone. So Really? Pretty much. Like, I like going a lot of younger at night kids, as a kid. You know, like, but yeah, me too. I mean, it was always... You always knew the neighborhoods to go to, and you. What it up, I, it, I I have been surprised at the amount of parents with kids. You uh-huh. know, like at what age did your dad or mom stop trick or treating um, with you? You know, you'd probably go. You get dropped off at a friend's house, and you go out with like group of friends. So probably yeah. fifth grade, maybe like yeah, like twelve, thirteen. I know fifth grade's ten. So like around then, it just depends. Because we we didn't grow up in a neighborhood. We were like kind of off of a road, so mm-hmm. we'd always go somewhere. So I guess you know. You're getting driven anywhere in the first place, so I guess... You got driven house to house? No, no. You get driven to, like, a, a spot, like your friend's house, and then go from oh, there. Oh, okay. And then you... Oh, that's fine. Or we yeah, go up and hit a neighborhood, like my grandparents' neighborhood, and you park and then just go around and walk back to the did car. You guys, did you guys have Mischief Night in uh, Maryland? I don't know what that is. You don't is know that, what Mischief Night is? No. Is that, like, the reaping? <laughs> then, yeah, we take one virgin from the town. Yes. No, no. No, it's the night before Christmas... All the kids go out before and they Christmas? TP Halloween. The night before Halloween, <laughs> we go out and we TP like you you throw eggs at houses or you TP houses and uh-uh. stuff. I mean, we did that, that was like, but it wasn't that, before Halloween. That's a Jersey institution, mischief night. Some some places I've seen it called Hell Night. No, no, we yeah, have that. Um, we would only like, to- I would only toy people peep. You don't only toy people's houses that you knew or had some sort of grievance against. It was an airing of grievances. This was a festivist mm-hmm. type thing for you. There's this one poor girl I had like a neighborhood over. She was like friends with my brother who's a year older and all, all of his like friends who were delinquents would always come over and like once every couple months, you're going to have Claire's house and just toilet paper the house or get some <laughs> eggs out there. Like it just never <laughs> failed. And it's like, you kind of felt bad for it. And then there's this other girl in our neighborhood, <laughs> Emily Chase, and her mailbox was always getting hit by everybody. <laughs> like, every, like, they never... Uh, we never we never hit mailboxes or anything, but we definitely pegged my friend Steve's house with eggs, or <laughs> yeah. we went and we TP'd some trees and stuff, you know? Half I love the time, a good, I love good toilet paper. Would and, call, yeah. They would call a house and be like, you got to come clean this up. And yeah. I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right, that's fine. <laughs> we actually, in school up at Kent State, we actually did toilet paper at one of our professors, one of our journalism professors, her house, in good fun, but it was uh, it was pretty fun. it was pretty pretty fun, pretty big. Time I loved there. throwing eggs. I got to tell you what, I love can't beat that crack. Throwing, <laughs> now you, you, the 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 moment in between the toss and the in the splat, like <laughs> it is so good. You never broke a window, did you? <laughs> no, never. I I got great aim, bud. You kidding me? No, I see. I would hard boil my. <laughs> You microwave them 25, 30 minutes beforehand. Yeah, get them nice and hot. No, I did like to smash a pumpkin though. That was mine. But oh, I, the day after, I, I, I must admit that yeah. on Halloween late at night when you're older in, in high school, if you're just walking around messing around, yeah. and there were some little pumpkins out, I'm throwing <laughs> that pumpkin as high in the air as I can and listening to it splat on the ground. 
Now, I, I stopped doing all this after after I smashed a pumpkin one time, and when I was like stomping on it to prove my point, I almost slipped mm. back, and I was like, okay, pumpkins are about to take over here. I got to stop. You played yourself. Yeah, you played yeah. yourself. I was like, da, 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 da. <laughs> so while the lead does not endorse, you know, such uh, loose vandalism, <laughs> light say, vandalism, light vandalism. I think no it's one good got hurt. for the soul. It's, yeah. I think it's good for you the soul. You know what? Let's go out. Let's have a mischief night this week. <laughs> Somewhere I think the, in the Shandon. I think there should be. No, but, 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 let's not talk about neighborhoods here. <laughs> have you seen it? I wonder if anyone got toilet papered. Call us if you got toilet papered or if you were part of a uh, a gang that was out and about wreaking havoc, which we don't support. No? I kind of, I support we smashing... <laughs> Uh, gourds. I don't like. We I'm can't not endorse any fan. property damage or destruction. <laughs> I'm getting a letter now from our lawyers. Uh, just have to delete that last part. Oh gosh! But uh, let us know if any any uh, tricks or or treats. You know more tricks that maybe past that you did in your past youth in good fun. Oh, you know, just the ghoulish spirit moving you. Anyway, I hope everyone had a good Halloween. Gavin, I hope you ate a thou- how many how many hundreds of grands of candy? Oh, millions. <laughs> millions. <laughs> so I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you had a good time. Uh, but yeah, call we're in. We, yeah, we're, almost, call. we're almost empty in that hopper, so I need mm-hmm. you guys to call. Do me a favor. Okay, bye. Just take one. Just take one, please. Just one, please. <laughs> Again, thanks for listening to the pod. Do like Sarah did and give us a call, 803-563-7169. Let us know how you're doing, what you think about Daylight Saving Time coming up. It's on Sunday. Rolling those clocks back an hour. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Are we detecting the presence of a simulation here? I think we may have discovered a new particle, maybe, a uh, quark adjacent. <laughs> uh, I don't know how we do this, but I think we have some breakthrough research here we need published. <laughs> now.